want to ask you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. It's about two-thirds of the way back if you brought a Bible, and if you didn't bring a Bible, we have extra ones hopefully nearby you that say NIV on them, black Bibles. You can pull them out and turn to page 613. Love it when people put their finger on the text. We want to be first-handers with God's Word. So page 613 in the black Bibles, two-thirds of the way back, right after Jeremiah and Ezekiel, if you're like thumbing through. And uh, we're going to start a series this summer, today. For the next 12 weeks, we're going to study a chapter a week in Daniel. And so even if you have to be gone on vacation, that's okay. Uh, Hopefully each week will be one of those standalone messages that will build on as well. And uh, so we just uh, encourage you, if you want to listen online, I know some of you do that when you travel, just know that it's on our website and podcast as well. Now, as we look at this today... We're going to, as I said, spend time thinking about Daniel, and um, as we think about the message today, I want to tell you about something that happened to me. Uh, When I was uh, in college, I was sitting in my dorm room one night. Uh, It was, I went to a Christian college. I know some of you went to secular universities, but I was sitting in my dorm room, and I had a roommate from California, big guy named Jim. Jim turned from his desk, and he just looked at me, and he just said this, and he said it in the most winsome way. He said, Jeff, let's be faithful. I have never forgotten that. Let's be faithful. I remember thinking to myself, man, I I needed him to say that to me right then. Because, you know, even at Christian college, you can just, you know, it's just so easy to, like, just float. And he didn't say it in a way like, let's be superior. He said, let's just be faithful to God. Let's, let's choose to have that kind of response. And I'm thinking to myself, why did he say that to me that night? Um, last year on sabbatical, I actually preached in his church out in California. It was great to be with him. I should have asked him. But I think one of the reasons that he did is because he was feeling like all of us feel is that the pressures of this world to be faithful to God, are intense. Anybody feel it? So we're not just going to float. We're not just going to drift into faithfulness to God. And as we talk about declaring war on shallow Christianity, shallow Christianity just says, well, it doesn't matter if you're faithful. If you want to be faithful for a while, good. And then if you don't want to be faithful, it's okay either way. Christ doesn't care. No, he does. And he wants us to understand how important faithfulness is in a world that just tempts us all the time to be unfaithful. So uh, if you're following along, let me say a couple things at the beginning of this message today, and then we're going to look at the first chapter of Daniel. The series sentence for this series that we're going to keep coming back to every week is found in that first line of the notes in italics. It's just uh, seven words there. And so I want to ask you if you'd say it out loud with me so we can kind of get it into our system, okay? So here it is. No matter what... God is in control. So the title of this series is called No Matter What, but the series sentence is No Matter What, God is in control. And what we mean by that, if you're following along, is that he is faithfully working. He is faithfully working even when it does not look like it, even when he seems silent, even when we can't tell what in the world is going on. Jesus once said, my father is always working. And he is always working faithfully. His character knows no other way. And even though it may look contrary to us, he is a faithful God. 
And it is that that is the foundation of any faithfulness in our lives. But what I want you to notice in this first chapter, and then as we study all throughout the book of Daniel this summer, is this next idea, is that Daniel knows God's calling him to be faithful no matter what, if you're following along. Daniel knows. He knows in his heart that God's calling him to be faithful no matter what. No matter where he is, no matter where he goes, no matter what changes, God is calling him to be faithful. And many of us have had that same sense of calling on our lives. And what we do with it is big. But again, we live in an environment that doesn't necessarily encourage us. Last uh, night, I was sitting at a reception up in the Chicago area. I officiated at a wedding for our niece yesterday. And um, so I got a chance to be with extended family. And I was sitting around the table. uh, Got home about one this morning. It was uh, was a good time. And uh, (laughs) as we were... As we were talking, I got a chance to talk to uh, one of my other niece's husbands who's in his early 20s, and they moved to New York City. So he got a job. He was raised in a Christian home. got a job driving in Manhattan. And he was just saying, I, I didn't, he said, what are, you, what are you teaching on tomorrow? I said, Daniel. He said, oh, man, that book's been a huge encouragement to me as I try and get my bearings in New York. Grew up in middle America, Indiana. He said, uh, God has given me favor with my boss, who is the exact opposite of everything I've ever known and everything I've ever believed. And he's angry at other people. He's mean, but for some reason, he likes me. He said, I have no explanation for that. But he says, man, I just have, I'm, I'm trying to learn how do I be faithful before this guy with God in a way that's humble, not condescending, not superior, and says, I remember thinking to myself, the book of Daniel has been inspiring to people for hundreds of years, and it's going to be inspiring to us if we'll listen to it, if we'll read it. So I'm encouraged as we start this series. I think this is going to be a blessing to you. I hope it is. And so I want to just pray, and then we're going to look at the text. We're going to read it together and make our way through. And uh, I just realized before we pray, can we do one more thing that actually is really important, but because I didn't get to bed till really late, I just forgot. Okay, here we go. Uh, is this, is uh, this bifold that was on your seat. This uh, bifold was put together by some of our team, and I'm just so grateful for their work. And as you look at this, it goes along with this series. And you may want to keep this in your Bible throughout the series. By the way, you know, we encourage people to use the notes and things like that. You know why? Um, You know, I always say to people, look, even if you don't, you know, think the notes are going to help you that much, if you use them and you keep them in your Bible, people are going to think you're more spiritual. (laughs) But... Actually, a lot of people tell us that later they go back and they look at it later in the week or they come back to it later. I just had a couple after the last service come up and say, our very first Sunday was 11 years ago when you taught on Daniel 1. We still have the notes. I said, you get extra credit. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, honestly, there's a way to remember. And as we engage, that's why we encourage you to just throw yourself into learning. Use the notes. But anyway, here's a bifold that will also help you because there's a lot of background to Daniel we want you to understand. So if you're looking here, what you'll see at the top is three different timelines. And there's a timeline of Babylon, which is where we're going to open in this first chapter. But also, you're going to see a timeline for Daniel in the middle. And then Judah, where Daniel started, grew up, is also listed there. What was going on? So I want you just to see some of that. And what I want you to see is that Daniel was born a little over 600 years before Christ. So if you're thinking about history, when is this? 
It's about 600 years before Christ. And what I want you to see also is that in the first column there at the bottom, you're going to see that right before Daniel's born, God was doing something. You see, for over 350 years, I don't know how much you know about the history of Israel, but Israel and Judah were, had a many wicked kings who did, not, who did not follow God. They followed their own preferences, their own desires, their own things, and they did not honor God, and they did not help people honor God. And so God was patient, and he sent prophets Some of the prophets that are right before Daniel are Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You'll see that Ezekiel, God raised up. Once they had been deported to Babylon, God raised up Ezekiel in Babylon. But in Judah, Jeremiah had a ministry that was important still back in Judah. And so God was raising up and he was saying, come on, even though you've been unfaithful, if you'll come back to me, I'll help you be faithful. I'm a faithful God. You know that. Why are you being unfaithful in your relationship with me? And so right before that, a king, Josiah, young kid, was raised up and he had such a heart for God that there was almost like no other king after him or even before him that followed God wholeheartedly. And he kept calling Israel back. And even though some of these religious Israelites mocked that kind of, you know, hey, you don't have to like get really serious about God. Come on, we can just like go, you know, watered down version is fine. He just says, no, no, no. We need to give God our whole heart. Let's be faithful to God with all our heart. That's when Daniel is, he's born into this spiritual revival. There's no question it had an impact on his life. So what I want you to see next is, in the second column there at the bottom, you're going to see that the book of Daniel is neatly divided into two different genres. There's going to be the first six chapters that are going to give us all kinds of really cool accounts and stories, historically true things that happened to Daniel while he was in Babylon. Daniel and his friends. Then in the last six chapters, we're going to see some of the visions that God gives Daniel and what they mean for the future. Apocalyptic literature is what it's called sometimes. I was talking with Eric Woolbright. He just finished teaching Revelation. Whenever you say apocalyptic literature, a crowd draws. There's something about us wanting to know what's going to happen in the future. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There are lots of Christians that have different takes on what God is saying in books like Daniel and Revelation, and there's truth about a lot of those different things. But none of us can be completely dogmatic because there's still some mystery in how that's going to unfold. What I want you to know about Cherry Hills, as we talk about Daniel, if you're wondering where we're going to go on this, we believe that the majority of Daniel has already been fulfilled, but it still has absolute relevance to our everyday lives. There is going to be some of Daniel that is yet to be fulfilled, and that we're going to talk about as we go through it. But for the most part, what Daniel is allowed to understand from God is what he's going to be doing in the future several hundred years out, before Christ even, and then he's going to lead to Christ's coming. One thing I want you to understand, by the time we get to chapter 7, we're going to talk about the Ancient of Days. That is a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah. So the book of Daniel, even the visions, are all about Jesus. Now, the question becomes is, what are we supposed to make of visions? How does God speak to people today? Does he still speak through visions? And I want you to know that primarily the way God speaks to us is through the word of God, the scripture, the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and through trusted Christians. That's, a lot of times that's the way he, he helps us understand. I've often told you a lot of times he'll speak to us across the ticker of our mind, the thought patterns of our life. It will always square with scripture, and it will almost always call us to sacrifice and serve rather than to be self-indulgent. That's one of the ways we know it's God and not us. But what I want you to see here is that God is still using visions today. You know, we've been talking about some of the extremist jihadist Muslims in the world. 
And you need to know that one of the things that God is doing that is so amazing is he is actually appearing in visions and dreams to some of these people and revealing Jesus Christ to them. Again, we're not trying to talk about getting off into the sensational. I just want you to know we cannot put God in a box. And he is at work, and he is faithfully working. And that is not his primary way of working, but when he does, he provides interpretations that are sound and that always glorify God and point to Jesus. So this is some of what we want to understand. Now, one more thing I want you to see in that third column is that the big idea here is that God is in control. Would you practice that seven-word sentence with me again? No matter what, God is in control. And when you and I begin to understand that kind of sure foundation, it can make a huge difference in our lives. So we just want you to make sure you see some of this. You may want to look at the timeline and follow it as we go through this series. You can see when some of these different chapters are taking place approximately. So with that, would you mind if I pray and then we'll dig into the text. Now God, what a privilege to be in this room right now with these brothers and sisters and our guests. And I ask, Lord, that you would be our teacher, that you would teach us your ways, that you would teach us your word, that you would show us your character, that you would reveal to us how we can be faithful in a world that is tempting us not to be faithful. And I thank you that so many come with a hungry heart. I pray you'll honor that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, let's look at the passage. Let's, uh, let's read starting in verse 1. I'm going to ask you to read when we get to verse 8, that verse on the gray box there, so we can all read off the same translation. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I want to tell you something that wasn't necessarily on the timeline, but it can be seen, I think, I think if you're looking for it, is that in 605, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who had just was succeeding his dad, was in battle, and he had just done a lot of conquering of parts of Egypt, and now he comes back and he begins to conquer Judah. And uh, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar is able to do that, and it says that he besieges it his first time. He is going to come back two more times over a period of the next uh, 16 years. So in 597 B.C., and then in 5. 87 and 586 BC, he is going to come back again and again. Each time he's going to take more out of Judah. He's going to take not only the things they worship, but their best people. Till in 586 BC, he is going to raise the temple to the ground. He is going to burn everything. He's going to tear the walls down. And he is only, only the people that are going to be left in Judah are the poor people. It's a way of stripping a nation so they cannot bounce back. It's a way of humiliating them and, and triumphing over their gods. And so what was going on there is something that took a number of years. Daniel and his friends that we're going to read about are taken in the first wave. That's because they're nobility. They're of the royalty. And so a lot of times the kings would take the brightest and best in order to, again, weaken a nation. And that's what's going on here. And so verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house of his God. Now they carried off these young men. I don't know if you've seen a map, but here's a map up here that shows us. If you know down by the Mediterranean Sea, Jerusalem's still there today. We still hear about it in the news. And again, that's where it was in Judah. What eventually happened is this trip, you can see the orange curving line there that went up through the Babylonian Empire along the Euphrates River to Babylon. Now, I don't know if you know where Babylon is, but it's in modern-day Iraq. Anybody heard of that? 
See, friends, these are relevant things. These are things that have ancient history as well as modern-day things going on. And so we just need to understand that this is what happened. Now, that trip that, on that orange line doesn't show the terrain. It doesn't show how tough it was, but it was somewhere between 800 and 1,000-mile journey, and you're heading towards a place you do not want to go. It's a place that is so alien and so other than anything you've ever experienced in your life that if you've been sheltered at all, you can't be sheltered anymore. Reminds me of the young guy in Manhattan. Whatever you're experiencing now, you're thrown into a brand new environment. Now notice verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. I mean, that's a great word, isn't it? Ashpenaz. I may name some people that. Chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Some scholars believe that they would eventually, over a period of three years, be required to learn somewhere between four to six different languages. They would be required to be exposed to things in the occult, to things of all kinds of religions because Israel was a monotheistic nation that believed in one God. Babylon, much like our country today, was polytheistic that believed in many gods. We'll see that more in just a moment. So it says that among those, excuse me, verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to... I started reading your part. Let's do it together. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. We're going to come back to that. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Notice that first he goes to the you know, uh, primary official here, and then he's going to go to his assistant. Just make sure you notice that. It says, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So he's already asked permission, and uh, the guy over him says, look, you need to know how things work. This king gets really angry when things aren't done according to his desires. So notice what Daniel does. He goes, okay, then I'll go to the one that's immediately over me. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. 
In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times, the Hebrew literally right there is ten hands, better. You know, ten hands are better than two hands. Some people can get more done in an hour than some other people. These people were given incredible skill, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in, the whole, in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which if you saw on the timeline, was approximately 68 years later. So what do we know? We know that these guys were teenagers, 14, 15 years old, approximately. And uh, they are deported, and they are brought to uh, to Babylon. So if you're following along in the notes, as we get introduced to Daniel, here's what I want you to notice. That in Babylon, Daniel's not only relocated against his will. He's exiled. He's he's made to move to another country that is completely unfamiliar to him. But he is re-educated, some would say indoctrinated, and then indulged, renamed, tested. Daniel is re-educated, indulged, renamed, tested. And we're going to see this in the first chapter, but this won't be the only time. And again, what's interesting is it's not all hardship. Some of it is going to be pampering. Some of it is going to be treated like high and mighty. And that's confusing on all different kinds of counts. So they really, really need to know that God is a faithful God in this situation, don't they? But notice what's going on. We talked a lot in the last few months about identity, how important it is that we know who we are. We know our name in Christ. But so what's going on here is that they are renaming them. This was common for other countries. They're trying to say, look, it's not the, you, you know, you're not in Kansas anymore. This is different now. You've got to learn to worship our gods. You've got to learn to talk our language. You've got to adjust to us. And so Kent Hughes writes, the name Daniel means Elohim is my judge. Elohim is one of the names for God. So El, whenever you see El in a person's name in Hebrew, it means that God's part of it. Elohim is my judge. Elohim is one of the Hebrew names for God. The name Belteshazzar, which was given to Daniel, means may Bel protect his life. Bel is one of the gods of Babylon. Hananiah means Yahweh, Yah, is gracious. Yahweh is the personal name of the God of the Bible. That's why when we sing hallelujah, hallel means to praise, Yah is short, the short version of Yahweh. So praise God. Praise God, everyone. That's what it means. Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is the personal name of the God of the Bible. Shadrach means Aku is exalted. Mishael means who is what Elohim is, while Meshach means who is what Aku is. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper, and Abednego means the servant of Nebo, another Babylonian god. See what's going on here? Changing everything, switching everything up. Notice next that Daniel had to choose. In our text today, we notice that Daniel gets to a crossroad. Daniel had to choose. He has to ask himself, as you and I do too, if we're going to live faithfully for God. Will I live by conviction or preference? Am I going to live by my own preferences, by my own desires, by what I want, or am I going to live by conviction? And the message title today is called Firm Conviction, and we're going to talk a lot about that later in the message, but he had to ask himself that question. So as he's considering that, friends, what I want you to see is is that when you're in that kind of situation, one of the things that's challenging is you got to know, is God going to come through 
if I trust him, if I, if I seek to be faithful, or am I going to have to do this in my own power all by myself? Will I live by conviction of what's really true, that God is faithful and he's called me to be faithful, or will I live by preference and what other people around me are telling me is fine? God's faithfulness, though, I love this. This week I saw something I had never seen before in studying Daniel 1, and here it is. God's faithfulness is tucked in little places in verse 2, 9, and 17. It's found in this phrase, the Lord or God gave. The Lord or God gave. Now, this is much clearer, again, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament uh, than it is. And actually, some of you that use the English Standard Version, we use the NIV most of the time, you'll actually see this word show up. But for those of us that have the NIV, you'll notice in verse 2, for instance, it says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Look at what it says here in the English Standard Version. And the Lord, what? Gave Jehoiakim. That means, basically, when they were deported, God did it. He had warned them for hundreds of years, look, here's what will happen if you continue to remain unfaithful to me. I have a super long fuse. I am not some kind of spontaneous God that just all of a sudden does something without giving warning. Look, this is important. And so he promised them, you will actually be exiled if you do not obey me in time. You're going to lose this land. The reason I dispossessed the people before you is because they were polluting the land. They were living in a way that was disgusting and mistreating other people. And now I'm giving you an opportunity to live this land. But if you forfeit that, if you become unfaithful, then you're going to lose the privilege of living in this land too. So powerful thing. So the Lord gave, gave him to hand. And sometimes you and I are in situations we go, how did I get here? Now here's what you have to wrestle with. Is it possible, not necessarily always because of sin, but because of God's larger purpose that God may have given you into that situation? Daniel had to wrestle with that. And he knew that God had already given plenty of background in the scripture of why he might be there, and he understood that. Verse 9, look at this next one. It says in the ESV, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Notice what verse 9 says in the NIV. Now God had caused, same idea, but it's powerful to realize that in verse 2, verse 9, and verse 17, look what it says in verse 17. It says, To these four young men, even in the NIV, it says, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. Friends, one of the reasons why God can ask us to be faithful is because he gives us everything we need to be faithful. We may not want it, we may not take advantage of it, but God is not calling us to do something he doesn't give us the power to do. He called Daniel to be faithful. Where the Lord guides, he provides. And he did. And he gave. If you're following along, look at some of the ways he works. In Babylon, God gives Daniel favor and understanding. God gives Daniel favor. Notice that. In verse 9, it says he gave him favor and compassion. Verse 17, knowledge and understanding. Friends, how do you and I grow in this? Look at Proverbs 9, 10. This is a powerful, our attitude is important. The fear of the Lord, this means reverence. This means healthy reverence for God. A humble kind of awe before God that's proper and appropriate is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know what the opposite of the fear of the Lord is? Cockiness. When you and I walk around strutting our stuff, acting like that, we are miles from the fear of the Lord. But when we go, I live under a great God to whom I will give an account one day. That is a powerful, powerful thing that can shape our attitudes. And when you and I live with that kind of humility, God can teach us. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. I'm glad he does. 
in me or anyone. Pride will always block us. We will miss what else we could learn because we think we already know enough. So this is one of the things that Daniel, he gave them the ability. So Daniel, if he was standing here right now, he goes, you guys all think that I'm such a great follower of God, that I'm so faithful. And don't get me wrong, I understood I had to make a choice. But I could have never been faithful if God hadn't been faithful to me. Worship him. He's the Lord. He's the God who gives what you need to be faithful. And I will praise his name and I will steward it well when he gives it to me. Notice one more thing is that God shows Daniel how to faithfully serve him, and Daniel does. God shows Daniel how to faithfully serve him, and Daniel does. This is an interesting thing. If you go back to the verses, it says in verse 8, like we read, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked permission. Now, he goes to the chief official, and the chief official goes, let's just play this out, Daniel. If I don't give you the food the king gave you and you start looking slipshod and not in such good shape, and he goes, hey, what's the deal? This guy is so like, you know, hair-triggered reaction, my head may roll. So I don't really like your idea. Now, that's how a lot of people have understood that. But I believe there was much more going on, and some commentators actually hinted this. They believe he's saying something like this. Look, because again, Daniel had favor and compassion with this guy. I think he's saying, look, I understand you want to be faithful to your God. And so if you can find a way, I'll help you. But we can't do it the way you just suggested. Keep thinking. And I believe that what happened is, is that Daniel and his friends said, how can we do this? There is something about eating the royal food that we need, we need to draw a line here. So how do we do this? And God light bulb went on. Remember, I often talk about how God speaks to us in the thought patterns of our mind, across the ticker of our mind. It's always consistent with his character. It's always consistent with what he said in scripture. It's not some crazy wild thing that somebody says, God told me if it's completely contradictory that way. But across his mind came this idea. Ask him if you can just do a short test. Ask him if you can do a short test. That's why I think Daniel would say, please do not revere me. Revere the God who gave me that idea. And when he gave that idea, he went back and said, how about this? He, he, so he went to the official that had been assigned to him and said, look, what if I were to do this? He says, okay, I'll do it. That's a short enough time period that he probably won't make my head roll. I'll do it. And sure enough, what did God do? God not only gave him the idea, God gave him a healthy outlook. Now, over the years, a lot of people have gone, the Bible wants us to be vegetarians. And I just want to say a couple things about that. There is something that is healthy about vegetables. The American Cancer Society is finding this, this thing. They say this simple thing, make friends with a plant. What they mean is this. If you eat a lot more of those kind of foods, that'll be good for you. It'll be healthy for your body. It's true. But nowhere does the Bible say that you only eat vegetables. The Old Testament doesn't say it. The New Testament doesn't say it. In fact, did you know that when they celebrated the Passover... They were supposed to eat meat, the Passover lamb, okay? So again, for those of you. Now, if you decide to be a vegetarian, that's great. Just don't say the Bible teaches it. The Bible says it's a way to be healthier, but it's not the only way, okay? The Bible also says is that everything God gives us is to be enjoyed and received with thanksgiving. So if you like a steak, enjoy it. If you like vegetables, enjoy it. But the idea here is that he knew that in this situation, something's going on. So what's going on? 
We'll come back to that in just a second. I want you just to see that this is a test. Something about the royal food, something happened. And I want to talk to you about compromise. I want to talk to you about every one of us are being pulled on, okay? So would you read verse uh, 2 of Romans 12 there in the uh, Phillips paraphrase that I've listed in the second gray box, okay? Let's read it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God is good for you and moves toward the goal of true maturity. Again, this idea is do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to do something on the inside of you that no matter what environment you find yourself in, you will be able to have a sense of conviction about what is true, what is not changed, and what continues to be important. But if you do not let that be transformation take place, you will conform. You will all of a sudden become like a chameleon. You will all of a sudden become unfaithful to God in order to fit in. And nowadays, we as Christians have lots of choices. Are we going to isolate ourselves, circle the wagons, wait until Jesus comes in, say, boy, I hope somebody reaches the world? Or are we going to, like, shelter ourselves and say, we don't want any of our kids to ever hear anything that Babylon might teach? These are wrestling things, aren't they? And we see here that these parents had prepared these guys for Babylon, but God also provided for Babylon. This is important for us. So we need to know. So how do we have firm conviction in this day and age? How do we do it? One thing I want to just stop and show you is this. God does not hate Babylon. It's a different nation that he actually, I believe, deported these young men to have an influence on. I, I didn't say this in the last service, but I'll say it to you now. Do you remember the Christmas story? 600 years later, Magi from the east. Remember how we just heard that Nebuchadnezzar had magi or magicians in his court? Many people believe that 600 years later, the reason why these guys came from the east and followed the stars because they wanted to meet the Messiah that Daniel finds out about 600 years before. Friends, we have no idea the reach of our influence if we'll choose to be faithful. But here's what I want you to see. Look at Jeremiah 29. I told you Jeremiah was the prophet back in Judah, teaching during the days of Daniel. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. For, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, that city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, the reason why is found in verse 10, because they're going to be in exile for 70 years. That's how long God's decided to keep them in exile. Look at the next verse, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, some of you know this next verse very well, and maybe you never knew the context. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. What a faithful God. The plans he has for us are good. The reason he's calling us higher, the reason he asks us to be faithful is because he wants us to know a richness of life even if it's hard. Man, he's a good God. So how do we have firm conviction instead of preference? If you're following along, what I want you to see here is this. Daniel draws a line and purposes in his heart not to muddy his heart. M-U-D-D-Y, muddy his heart. You know, it says in verse 8 that Daniel resolved. He got renamed. He got, you know, educated. All these things that he couldn't choose. But when it came to the royal food, he had a choice. And he decided to make it. And he resolved in his heart. I like how the King James says it. He purposed in his heart. Friends, do you know where all this takes place? This takes place in our heart, the control center of our lives. Right in the center. It just represents what we most desire. And he realized, you know what? What I most desire is to fulfill this calling God's given me to be faithful to him. Because he's been faithful to me. And he purposed in his heart. But he realized he wasn't going to drift into faithfulness. We've been saying this all the time. Friends, you and I are not going to drift into mature Christianity. A relationship with God. The world is going to constantly drift us the other way. The drift is always south. The drift is not north. Therefore, we're going to have to drive a stake in the ground on some things and say, this is not changing for me. I am going to be faithful to God if I'm the only one. I'm going to be faithful to God if I get mocked. I'm going to be faithful to God if they beat me. I'm going to be faithful to God if they kill me. This is a firm conviction for me. And I don't even fully understand what I'm saying, but I have purposed in my heart that what comes my way, I'm going to learn how to be faithful. And when I'm not faithful, I'm going to run back towards faithfulness because I know that's the calling for my life. Wow. But he noticed he said he wanted to defile his heart. What's defile mean? He didn't want to pollute his heart. He didn't want to water it down. He didn't want to muddy his heart because he understood if his heart gets muddy, the power of God gets watered down in his life. He didn't want the power of God to be watered down in his life. Friends, you and I have a choice to make too. We've got to figure out, are we going to live by firm conviction or preference? And what's conviction? Here's a definition here on the screen. It says, a conviction is a firm, fixed or firmly held belief, being convinced that something is true. It's, it's, it's unmovable for you. This one's not going to you know, just move all the time. And uh, last week, Steve read uh, something from Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s. Remember that if you were here? Here's something Jonathan Edwards did. When he was a teenager, he wrote about 70 resolutions of how he wanted to follow God. I'm not saying you need to do this, but look at just several he wrote. Resolved, never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body. I know the language is 1700s, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. I don't want to do anything that doesn't ultimately lead to God being glorified in my life. Resolved, that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I lived to old age. In other words, I want to live now the way when I look back, I can go, I wanted to live that way even when I was old and look back and no regrets. Resolved never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions. Anybody relate to this? However unsuccessful I may be, 
I am going to fight tooth and nail, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. What's he referring? The hour that Christ comes back. When Christ comes back, he wanted to be able to say, I did what you asked me to do. I responded in gratitude and humble obedience to what you asked me to do, even though it was hard. I have no regrets when I see your face, Jesus, about that. I'm so glad I did. After the last service, a guy came up to me and said, years ago, when he was young, a man looked at him and said, it's worth it. It's worth it. But you and I have to decide whether that's true. Now, where do I get this idea of conviction versus preference? It came from a message I heard years ago by Andy Stanley. By the way, if you want to listen to a great message, two years ago, Steve gave one called Resolved. September 2013, still on our website. I highly recommend it. This would be more helpful to you. But anyway, Andy Stanley, years ago, I heard him preach on conviction versus preference. And this idea has stayed with me. Now, if you're following along in the notes, conviction is something that orients towards sacrifice, whereas preference orients itself towards convenience. Conviction orients itself towards sacrifice. Preference orients itself towards convenience. Listen to what Annie Stanley said in that message. He said, we're in this mode of excuse and excuse. It's time we establish some convictions. Preference is oriented towards convenience. Conviction is oriented towards sacrifice. The challenge is being willing to acknowledge that what you lose by sacrificing is far less than what you lose by compromise. You say, man, you don't know anything. I don't know much about business, but I do know this. There are godly men and women out there who've sorted it out, and they're making it work. It will cost you. You'll have to get up from some deals and just walk away. No one there will understand, and you won't even be able to explain it. But you know you've got to walk away. There are new partners to be found. There's money to be lost. But God's called us as Christians not to be men and women of preference, but men and women of conviction. Those are the ones he elevates to positions of influence. Friends, when I was in high school, my dad sensed that God was calling him to move from a, you know, a town in Danville to a town in Elgin. I've told you this story before. I found myself in an environment that felt a lot like Babylon. The high school I went to, oh my goodness, some of you have high schools like that. It, it's just, it was so alien to living the Christian life. And so many people that was beyond even the high school I'd been in. And I just remember thinking, how would it, and here's what happened. At 17 years old, I knew I had a calling on my life. Not because I ever knew I'd be a pastor. I didn't have any idea then. I knew as a regular person, God had called me to be faithful in that school, in that town, at that job that I had in the grocery store, all that stuff, and it was a learning lesson for me. And I had the same sense that I believe Daniel had, and maybe you have too. So here's how, how do we apply this. If you're following along in the notes, notice this. What is Babylon for you? Is it your job? Is that the environment where you feel is hostile or flows, swims against the flow? Or maybe it's pampering. Everybody's a Christian there. And therefore, it's hard to really be a really sharp Christian because everybody's just kind of let everything go. No one's living by conviction anymore. They're just floating along as Christians. That can happen, even in a Christian school. School, home, friends, work. Where is it? And then the royal food for me. What is it for you? I, I just, I've told you this. You know, notice what Daniel did. He decided to draw a line when it came to intake. 
Some people go, like, is it wrong to eat food? I already told you. God says it's fine to eat food, you know, in, in good measure. I mean, we're not talking about gluttony, but we're talking about that's not the issue. The issue was he realized that if he took the food in, some people say, well, it's because it was unclean food ceremony. It probably had been offered as sacrifice to God. And if he took the food, it was a way of saying you and I are friends. But I don't believe those were the biggest reasons. I believe the biggest reason is because he knew instinctively that if I take this food, Babylon is going to get more into me than I'm going to get influencing Babylon. So what is it for you? For me, I've told you this before, it's what I watch. If I take in things that I know are going to water down, muddy my heart, that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. Some of you, it's what you listen to. You may say, well, the music I listen to, you know, I, I, the music of Babylon's fine, man. But you don't listen to the songs of the Lord. And so you see that you see how something's starting to really muddy your heart, starting to water down your faithfulness to God. Watch that. Some of you, it's alcohol. You are so proud of how much you can be, you know, a connoisseur of alcohol or how much you can drink in, and it is wrecking your faithfulness to God. For some of you, it's drugs. For some of you, it's power. For some of you, it's sex. For some of you, it's position, privilege. I can't fill in the blank for you. What is it that may be warring against your soul to make you unfaithful to God? It's a moment of decision to drive a stake in the ground and say, it's not because I'm so cool, it's not because I'm such a dandy follower of God, but because he is so faithful, I want to respond in faithfulness, so help me God. Man, our world is watching to see if there's anybody like this. And Jim called me higher, Daniel called me higher, I am so thankful they did. And I pray that Daniel will call you higher. So here's the last thing. Where can I trust your faithfulness and live by conviction? Last question, where can I trust your faithfulness and live by conviction? We thought that one of the ways we could close this service is by having four young people come and pray over us, be faithful. Now, they're not the only young people. We have so many young people. I love that we're a multi-generational church, but I asked them to come out. They're going to pray over us, and then I'm going to pray for them. Some of them are heading to new environments where they're going to have to learn how to be faithful, but then we'll close, okay? So listen to their prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for your grace and love. We praise you. We pray Psalms 25, 4 and 5. Show us your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior. And our hope is in you all day long. Lord, we pray in the joy and the success that you can humble us and teach us your path. We pray in the hard times, the doubt, and the pain that you can give us joy and courage to push through. Lord, we pray, Psalm, we pray Romans 12 that you can help us to run the race that you put out for us, fixing our eyes on you so that we can just see you and praise you, Lord. So we give you all the glory for we know that no matter what, God is in control. Lord, I just want to pray specifically over these next couple of summer months for our church family, God, as we head into this series on the book of Daniel. And I pray that it would be a time of growth for um, people of all ages and of all walks of life and of all places spiritually. 
And I pray that um, you would teach us through, our, through the preaching of our pastors and that we would also grow in fellowship with one another as we learn to live out what we are learning um, together, God. And I also pray that this would be a season of peace and of rest um, for our church family, God. And I pray that it would also be that of joy for um, the joy that comes from knowing you and what you've done for us. And God, I just ask that you'll help us to remember our identity in you um, and as a church family that we'll know that you're at work in our lives, um, whether we feel you or whether we don't. Um, And I just ask that um, you'll just remind us that you're at work in our hearts um, and in our lives and all around us. And I just thank you so much for um, this church family. God, thank you so much for being a God that transcends all generations and that Cherry Hills can be a multi-generational church regardless of the season of life we are in or even our life situations. God, I pray that you will work powerfully through our church family and this city. Lead us beyond what we could ever do on our own and may we always, always give you the glory and make you known. Lord, thank you so much for the fellowship of these brothers and sisters that make doing the Christian life such an encouragement despite all the difficulties. Amen. And now on behalf of uh, the church family, I know you want to join me in this. I want to pray for Kyle and Ellie as they head off to college. In new environments, oh God, teach them how to know you and be faithful to you and know your faithfulness. And then I pray for Abby who continues in high school and Adam who continues in college. Would you please work in their lives wherever they find themselves that so no matter what, They can trust you, that you are still at work for good. And we thank you for all of our young people in this church. Help them, Lord, and help us whatever age we are to trust you. In your name we pray, amen. So can we just thank them for praying? Would that be all right? Now, on the way out, we have a sticker for you like we did in the In Christ series. They're going to be out on the table on the back there. And I, yeah, this is what I did in my Bible, see? So, uh, again, if you're looking to be an extra credit Christian, you can do this if you want. Just kidding. Actually, it's just a way to place it. You may have another place you want to place it. But years from now, you may look back and say, oh, yeah, that's when we studied Daniel. Some things may come back to your mind. So if you want a sticker, please do that. Let me pray. Lord, as we go, I thank you that we can know you in everything. Help us walk with you closely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.